0: All right, let's get to it. Romans chapter 2 is where we are. Uh, Man, you guys know that Paul has really been hitting at us hard over the last few weeks. Uh, I've described it as turbulence, that we're on a plane and there's just a bunch of turbulence that is happening. uh, And I told you that we won't be out of the turbulence for a while, so... A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about Paul talking about the outward sins of those that were at the church in Rome. Remember, chapter one, he starts to list out all, y'all remember that? He starts to list out all those sins. And then it's easy to look at that list and then be like, ah, but I don't struggle with any of that. Murder was on the list. So we're like, ah, oh, I never murdered anyone. Some of y'all look a little shady, so you might have. Uh, but it's easy to look at that list and be like, yeah, that's not me. But then Paul doubles down and he comes back the next week. And remember, he talked about the sin of self righteousness. And so there, 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 there is no one that's able to escape the, really the, the punch in the face that Paul has given us. And today is no difference. And one of the things I love about the Word of God is that it always amazes me at how a passage or a book that was written, this book was written between 56 and 58 AD, and how applicable it could be to us, to a church in 2019. And really what you see is affirmation. Of Isaiah 40, where it says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. We do not have to make it relevant. It just already is relevant. And so I, I think today is no exception. I think we will uh, all of us will walk out and at least try to ponder these things in our heart to see what Paul is getting at us with. will not you pick me up in verse 17? By the way, we're finishing uh, the chapter today, so that's a, definitely something to rejoice about. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve of the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles or non-believers because of you. I know you guys are dying for a text on circumcision, so here we go. Verse 25, circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. And if you are, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law, keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law will judge you who are, who are a lawbreaker In spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. Verse 28. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person who is a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter that a person's praise is not from people, but from God. I want to preach. Uh, for a short amount of time from the topic entitled Defining Hypocrisy. Let's look to the Lord. Certainly need to pray before this message. Uh, Father, I, I'm uh, dependent on you. We are dependent on you. We need you to speak to us right out of your infallible word. We thank you, O oh God, that there is no contradiction in your word. There's, uh, your word is credible. There, there's, uh, there's nothing uh, that We can pull out and say, well, this doesn't apply to us, but all of it does, including this passage. Father, would you challenge us today? Expose in our heart hypocrisy. The Reality is, even when I announced the title, some people checked out. Some people were like, God, that's not me. I'm not hypocritical. Would you show us our hypocrisy today? Would you help us and move us to a place of repentance? Just like last week, you showed us our self-righteousness, even though I think most of the room was quick to say I'm not self-righteous. Most of us will push against this idea of being hypocritical. But, Lord, would you help us to see that we are and that we need your grace and we need your mercy and we need you to get at us through your word. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Defining hypocrisy. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a group of friends, just a small group of friends that I rode deep with. We were really, really good friends. And when I look back at what made us friends, uh, it's interesting, the things that we shared as common values, the things that brought us together with things uh, like uh, video games, we would spend hours upon hours. They would come to my house because uh, back in the day, you know, you'd have to actually have to go to someone's house to play the video game. Now, you know, today you ain't even got to leave your house. My, my boys play uh, the game with somebody in Philadelphia and they got headphones on and they talking like the person's there. I think it's killing social skills. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, back in the day, you actually had to get out of your house and go To your friend's house so my friends would come over for hours and we would play games and i'd go to their house and we played games so we were we had a common shared interest of video games we also all played football we were all on the same football team your boy was nice on the field and so we all played football and so there was a shared commonality we had we also were were connected through all of us loved the fugees y'all don't know nothing about killing me softly 1993 I played that thing over and over and over again. And so we, we, we all shared this same interest in those things. Here's one area that we did not share interest in was our involvement in church. So, so, so when I was growing up, you know, I wasn't a believer at the time, but my parents made me go to church. Anybody who grew up in a house like that? You ain't have an option whether you was coming to church or not. Like you got up, you, you went to church and so my, my mother was deeply involved. My mother played the piano, so I had to go to rehearsals, even though I wasn't singing. And uh, my, my father was a minister in most of the churches that we went to. And so I often had to go for extra meetings and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So I was in church literally two or three times a week, every single week. And I realized that because my friends didn't share that same value, they did not go to church. Something in me said I should invite them to church. And so I built up enough courage one day. I went to my friends and I asked them, did they want to come to church with me? And their response, first of all, they declined. Their response to why they were declining really at the time was surprising. But now that I look back at it, I realize I've heard it so much on why people say this. This is what they said to me. They said, nah, we're not going with you to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Has anybody ever heard that before? I didn't just hear it from some teenage boys, but even up until today, People often say to me that the church is hypocritical. And as long as I can remember, the local church has had a credibility problem. As long as I can remember, the local church has had an issue with the idea of hypocrisy. And at first I thought that people would, would say this as an excuse on why not to go to church because they just want to rest on Sundays or they had some running around to do. But the longer I got around us. OK, let me talk about myself. The longer I saw my inconsistencies between what I said and what I did, the more I realized there is validity to what they said. And so when people look at the church, my deepest fear, even when I read this passage, is that they look at the church and they are not seeing the good that we're doing. But they're looking at the church and be like hypocrites. And the reason I don't go to church is because and some of y'all, too, like they look at your life and they see hypocrisy and it keeps them from coming to the church now, in reality, it really keeps them from coming to God. Now, in reality, all of us in this room, you'll never escape having a little bit of hypocrisy. We're sinful. You are a sinful, yes, you were saved from your sin, but you are still in the presence of sin. And there is sin still dwelling within your heart until you get with the Lord and there is no more sin. You'll always struggle with areas, and I think hypocrisy is one of them. But here's my goal today. You might look at the, the, the gap between what you say and what you do just as a ditch. But the outside world sees the gap between what you say and what you do as the Grand Canyon. They look at the things that your profession and then your demonstration and they walk away and be like, I ain't ever going to that church. She told me not to do that. But then she does it. He told me not to go there, but then he goes there. And so hypocrisy hypocrisy will always somewhat reign within our hearts. My goal and my prayer all week long is that we would take the gap between what you do and say and at least shorten the gap so that people can at least see some progress. So let's dig into the text. We're not going to be here long. I can promise you that. Uh, But I, I will say this. Verse 17 to 20. Don't miss your shouting moment. And the reason I'm saying that is because Paul has been beating us up since the end of chapter one. He finally gives us a little bit of breathing room. I talk about the turbulence. Verses 17 to 20 is when you take off your seatbelt and roam around the cabin. But do it quickly because he switches right back to rebuking us. Let's look at the text and see what he says. Verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are. Convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. I counted. You don't have to count. I did the math for you. Paul just lays out 10 things and the 10 things that Paul lays out that the Jews at the church at Rome were doing are all positive. Don't miss this. I, I know because Paul has been hammering at us and he'll hammer at us some more before the end of the chapter. It's easy for us to say that list is negative. But the list that Paul's lay, Paul lays out is not an indictment against the church. The list that Paul lays out is actually an encouragement. But Paul is very slick with what he's doing. Paul is laying out positives that he's seeing within the church, but he's doing it as a setup because he knows he's about to punch them in the face. And so he's letting them know, like, man, you are doing all of these things and all of these things are good and healthy. Look at it. I'll just quickly do the 10 things. He says, you call yourself a Jew. That means that they believed in the covenant between God's people and God. They relied on the law. Is that not a good thing? They boasted in God. Is that not a good thing? They know his will. That's discernment. They approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. They're a guide for the blind. Who wouldn't want to be a guide for the blind? They're a light to those in darkness. They're an instructor of the ignorant. They're a teacher of the immature. That's discipleship. And then he says you have the embodiment of knowledge and truth from the law. When I read this, this sounds like a pretty good Christian. These are all things that I am aspiring to be. I want to be a guide to the blind and I want to be a a light to those that are in darkness. I want to be a teacher of the of the immature. I want to disciple and Really what Paul is doing, he's saying, well done. He's applauding, saying, praise God. He's giving them the Nancy Pelosi clap right here. He's applauding them right now because he knows he ain't going to be applauding them for long. But in this moment, what I want to do is if Paul stops to celebrate the things that they are doing, I think it's important for us to press pause on the beat up and at least celebrate the things that you are doing. Because in reality, many of you, many of you in this room are doing some of the very same positive things that Paul is talking about. He just said, you rely on the law. That that means that they trust in the sufficiency of the word of God. The law is talking about Moses' writings. They trusted in the writings of Moses, and that is the story of many of you. Many of you not just trust in the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but you trust in the whole counsel of God's word, which is why you're willing to come here every week and help us to work through Romans. Why? Because you believe and you rely on the scriptures. And I love that as a pastor. That makes my heart overjoyed. That makes my heart glad realizing that many of you in here, before you make decisions, you consult the word that's relying on the word of God. there have been many of you that have come to me and said, "Uh, Pastor, I have this job opportunity coming up. But before I make the decision on it, I'm going to consult the word to see what it says about wisdom and discernment on decision making. That's relying on the word of God. Some of you in here have talked to me about strongholds and talked about habits that you can't break. And you say, well, I know these habits I can't break, but I know the word of God talks about strongholds. Let me get in the word of God and do a study on what it means to break uh, this habit. Some of you have talked to me about emotional instability and you've ran to the word to try to find areas where you can grow in your emotional health. Here's what I'm getting at. I want to celebrate those of you in here that trust the word, that believe in the reliability of scripture, that believe in the sufficiency of scripture. So Paul, he says here, listen, I'm proud of y'all. Y'all rely on the word, but you don't only rely on the law. He then goes on to say, I'll do a couple more. I can't do them all. You boast in God. If you look at another translation, other translations say they boast in their relationship with God. Once again, many of you in here have been faithful to do that. I've talked to many of you in here that first came to our church and uh, there, there just was no relationship. Maybe you just met the Lord. Maybe you just got baptized. But a year later, two years later, all I hear and see is you boasting in your relationship with the Lord. Can I celebrate you this morning? I'm thinking about like, you know, some of the posts I see on social media where some of our young ladies take a picture of their Bible and be like, I'm at date, you know, date day with Bay and all of, you know, is that how they say it? Bay baby, whatever it is. (laughs) Some of y'all like publicly have boasted in your relationship. And because Paul is celebrating that, I want to celebrate that too. You know how many conversations I've had with some of you that have come in here And said, I feel like because I'm connected to this local church that I've grown in my relationship with God. Can anybody in here say that? Can you all talk back just a little bit? And so I want to celebrate you today. I want to celebrate the fact that your relationship with the Lord is growing. He says you rely on the law. You you rely on the word of God. You boast in your relationship publicly. People know that you you ain't no secret Christian. People know that you trust the Lord. I want to celebrate that. And then he says, you know, his will. This is discernment. And many of you have grown in your discernment. You've grown in knowing what the will of God is. Many of you have denied and declined uh, job opportunities because you know that's not God's will. And so you're growing in your knowledge of God's will. And the worst thing, the worst place to be is outside of the will of God. I was talking to our discipleship group I'm, I'm working with, and yesterday we were talking about Being aligned in the will of God. And, and, you know, I, I said really one of the there's two things that help us to be aligned with the will of God. That's prayer. And that's reading your word prayer because you need to hear from God. You need to talk to God. And how do you hear from him? But the scriptures. And so I was talking about the talking about this idea of being aligned in the word. And I said, you know, the only thing worse than being outside of God's will is being successful outside of God's will. Because you do know your gifts can open up some doors for you that God ain't want you to walk through. And my fear is that I would stand before God one day. He'd be like, man, you killed it. That's a great job. But that ain't what I wanted you to do outside of his will. But the church at Rome, Paul is saying, you know, his will. So he's celebrating them. He's he's celebrating the discernment that is in the church. I love the way Karen Clark says that the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. If you don't know Karen Clark, Google her today. All right. He goes on in verse 20. I don't have time to keep going. He says that they're the teachers of the immature. That is discipleship. If you've been here for any amount of time, one of the things you'll hear me often say is that we need to grow in our discipleship. You've heard me say it, if you were here for Vision Sunday, if you just joined the church and you are part of our covenant community class, you've heard me often say, we need to do better with discipleship. And let me celebrate because many of you have grown in discipleship. You've grown in connecting with a more spiritually mature person so that you can grow in spiritual maturity. Many of you have formed discipleship groups and some of you have submitted your life to be walked with by somebody else. And once again, I want to celebrate you now celebrations over. You didn't say amen. You missed it because Paul is now. It's almost like my wife was watching. Uh, what's, what's the show? This is us. And, you know, this is us switching scenes so quickly. Like, I don't I don't know if the son is the father and I'm just trying to figure out the you know, it's just switches so quickly. That's what Paul does here. Paul says celebrate 17 to 20 because 21 to 29. Now I got to get you about some things and it's good for us. We need to walk through what Paul is going to get at us about. He moves from encouragement to correction. He mo- I wrote it in my Bible. He literally moves from rejoice to rebuking like that in one verse moves like that. But look at it with me. Verse twenty one. All the great stuff that you did, here's what I have against you. You then who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? It says, you who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Paul literally is like, I know you were celebrating and you think that the rest of the book is going to be all encouragement, but there is something I have against you. You know what he has against them? Hypocrisy. What Paul just laid out in verses 21 to 25 is the inconsistency that he saw in the church at Rome. And what is good for them in 56 to 58 A.D. is good for us today. What are the inconsistencies that? That the world sees with us, and it doesn't matter the good that you do. Like, listen to me, you can do good 90% of the time and have 10% hypocrisy, and the 10% hypocrisy has a crazy way of outshining the 90% good that you do. And that's true of you as an individual, but that's true of us as a church. It doesn't matter that we do uh, rock the park and give out free haircuts and free food and we do prayer walks. The world is going to be like, that's nice. But what about the hypocrisy I've seen within? What about the members that I saw saying one thing and doing another thing? So Paul gets at them today about the hypocrisy. He says you teach and you preach, but your life doesn't match up with the things that you taught and the things that you were preaching. And as somebody that preaches week in and week out, this scared me because I realized on a, every week, I'm preaching three services, at least 35 to 40 minutes a Sunday. Do you know how much stuff I'm saying Do you need to do And you need to do? Here's the thing I had to do this week. I had to sit down and write a list of the things that I've told you to do that I haven't been doing. OK, I'm going to be the only one honest this afternoon. I can see there are some things that you have told others not to do, but you secretly did it. And what happens is you stop people from coming to the church and getting the gospel all because your life ain't together. All because they see hypocrisy within your life. And there ain't nothing worse. Listen, hear me. It's nothing worse than a hypocritical preacher. It's just not a preacher that tells you to do one thing. And You know, every other week y'all come in here and I'm always saying, listen, y'all stop smoking weed every other week. Y'all know I do that every other week. I'm like, stop smoking weed. Can you imagine? And some of you, I've literally walked to the toilet and flushed weed down the toilet with you. Can you imagine me telling you every other week not to smoke weed, and then you come out the train station at Fulton and uh, at Kingston and True, and I'm at in front of McDonald's smoking weed? Can you imagine that on your way to church? I'm outside like you I see you at 10:30. <laughs> see you at 11:30, and I'm sitting there with a blunt in my hand. Can you imagine? And then I come up here and say, "Open to Romans 2." You would be like, I ain't, I'm not hearing anything else he's saying. The reason you're not going to hear me is because you, the hypocritical me, you now have a, you have a veil up. You have a wall up. You can't receive anything I say. I talk to you guys all the time about integrity. and I talk to you about character all the time. It's important for us to not just be spiritual people, but it's important for you not to lie on your taxes. I tell you all this stuff. Can you imagine turning on the local news? And when you turn on Channel 12, the local news, my face pops up and I'm indicted for embezzlement and picking up prostitutes. Can you imagine that? What if you saw me pick up a prostitute? Then you came in church and you couldn't. But here's the thing. I'm willing to say that about myself. How much have you told people? And then they saw inconsistencies between what you said and you did. And it stopped them from being a part, stopped them from coming to the church. And so what we see is hypocrisy. Many of you have told others to live in in purity, but you know secretly you having sex. Many of you brothers have told young men, listen, be faithful to your wife. And then they go on Instagram and see you liking and flirting with other females. Some of you ladies have told other young wives to, to respect their husband. And then they saw you openly disrespect your husband. Okay, let me go deeper. Some of you have said, love God. But you're nasty to people. Hypocrisy. And that is the stuff that kills the church. That is the stuff that stops people. That is why people say I ain't going to church because it's full of hypocrites. And Paul affirms this. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, he says. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. That word Gentiles really means unbelievers because of you. Because of your hypocrisy, people that don't know the Lord, you are hindering people's ability to hear the gospel. All because what you do and you say is a big gap in between it. And they see inconsistencies and they see uh, the contradictions. They see hypocrisy. Don't let your life be marked by hypocrisy. Don't let this local church be marked by hypocrisy. Let me go deeper. Don't let the body of Christ be marked By your hypocrisy. And this is a place. Listen to me. This is a place where we try to is a judgment free zone zone. Yes, we want you to walk in freedom. We want you to walk in liberty. We want you to look more like Christ. But you should. The reason why people walk in hypocrisy is because they don't think that they can tell you their business without it going around the church. So we need we need to be a place that's open. We need to have an atmosphere of repentance. An atmosphere that people can come to you and say, this is my brokenness, this is my inconsistency, this is my hypocrisy, and you ain't judging them because you like, I got my own issues. That's where we need to move. And what we do is y'all come in here on Sundays and hear me preach and y'all say amen when I preach on certain sins. And the reason you do that so loud is because you don't want everybody else around you to know that you're struggling with the same sin. Listen to me. Don't say amen. Say ouch and say, I need to get that together. Don't try. Don't put on a facade for us because it's killing our ability to engage with the world. And so Paul is like, listen, I got this against you. I mean, 17 to 20, man, praise God, all the things you're doing. But I got something against you. What do I have against you? That you're inconsistent, that that you're that you have contradictions. And that is really hindering our ability to grow the church in Rome. And I would say that to be true here. It hinders our ability to grow the church here. Now he moves again. Another. This is us. uh, She a scene shift. He moves in verse twenty five. And he says circumcision benefits you. Please underline this word or circle it. If you observe, I'll tell you why in a second. Observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker underline law, or circle, that word lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if, uncircum- if an uncircumcised man keeps circle that word, because that's synonymous with observe the law requirement. Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps, there it is again, the law, will also judge you who is a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. Don't miss what Paul is doing here. Oftentimes we'll read text like this. I don't know what the inscription above your Bible says, but mine literally says circumcision of the heart. And we think that Paul is necessarily dealing with circumcision, but he's not. What Paul is dealing with, he's using circumcision to show obedience. He's really what he's getting at here is what does obedience to the law or to the Bible. I don't care if you quote scripture. I don't care if you memorize scripture. I want to know, do you obey scripture? And that's what Paul is getting at. Paul is like, don't floss that, you know, the law. Don't floss that, you know, don't don't go through the book of Romans so that you can go to your job and have talking points to argue with people about. Well, you know, chapter one said, you know, wickedness and, 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 and homosexuality. No. How about you read the word of God and say, how can I apply that, Lord? What does obedience look like? Because obedience, what Paul is doing is he's showing us that obedience keeps us from being hypocritical. When you obey the word of God, it keeps you. From contradictions. I have a friend that's a pilot and when I talk to him about, I don't know if y'all ever see that, that screen where it shows all of the, uh, the, the air traffic and you see all the lines on the screen and all the planes that are in the air at the same time. When I see that, I'm often, I'm often like, man, that's confusion. How in the world do those planes not collide into each other? Like, what happens that pilots know to keep a certain distance? I've never been on a plane and saw another plane pass by, like we in traffic and we waving at people. On the other. I've never done that before. And so I'm often like, what keeps the planes apart? And so I talked to this pilot and I said, well, man, you got to tell me, how in the world do you guys know where planes are so that you can keep away from? Them? And he says, it's, it's pretty simple. All we have to do is obey the command center or obey the control center. So if the control center says drop a thousand feet, you better be obedient and drop a thousand feet because not obeying can be detrimental. And it is the same way with the word of God. The word of God acts as a control center. And so whenever it says drop a thousand feet, you should drop a thousand feet. And here's the thing about it. We are easy. We'll we'll obey if we agree. But what about obeying when you don't agree? OK, there's some passages. I'm going to be honest and I'm like, Ah, God, why'd you put that in there? But because I trust God and because I trust the word, I'm going to obey it, even though I, I may not agree with it. And so some of you don't obey the word of God when it's convenient for you. Obey it at all times. I love the way Jesus says it in Matthew 28, verse 20, where he says, teach them to observe the law. In other words, Jesus, like the point of teaching is for obedience. I have failed you as a pastor. If you memorized a bunch of scriptures and you stand before God and be like, God, I memorized Habakkuk 1, I memorized Jonah 2, I memorized the whole chapter. I failed you as a pastor if you can memorize it but not obey it. Because the goal of our time together is to fuel you up so you can go out of here and say, how can I obey this, Lord? And So Paul ends this thing and says, listen, you had some good things that you were doing and I'm rejoicing with you, but... There's some rebuke I need to give you, some correction I need to give you. You're a hypocrite. Now, how do we get? He gives us the solution. How do we get from hypocrisy? Yes, it is obeying the word of God. The question is, how do we obey the word? Here's how you do it. I'm going to end it here. Verse 29, it says, circumcision is of the heart by the spirit. The way we obey and move from hypocrisy is not by your own effort, but it's by having a new heart. OK, yeah, that doesn't make sense. The way we see you think that you're going to overcome hypocrisy by behavioral modification. But you're going to obey. You're going to move away from hypocrisy by having a new heart. What does God say? I'm going to take the heart of stone out of you and I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh that I can penetrate, that I can mold, that I can make. And how do we get a new heart? We get a new heart by believing in the work that Jesus Christ has done. We get a new heart by believing that Jesus Christ has one hundred percent paid the bill he's not le- he did not leave you with a percentage of the bill to pay he paid it fully it's like that meme that's going around y'all seen that meme with Jesus at the Last Supper and they by arguing on who paying the bill and they like Jesus you turn the water into wine and y'all know we do that we have a great meal with friends and then when and the point of contention is when the receipt comes i we'll be like girl you shouldn't have had that bison burger you could have got a regular burger why you got extra fries like we we tend to do that but here's what I know about the cross When Jesus Christ pays the bill, he's not asking you to pay anything. He's not asking you to leave the gratuity. He's not asking you to check the taxes. He is paying the bill 100%. And so the way we move towards obedience and move away from hypocrisy is by believing in the work that Jesus Christ has done. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How are you doing with hypocrisy? Really look at your heart right now. How are you doing with living up to the things that you preach? How are you doing being consistent? What is the, how big is the gap between your profession and your demonstration? Whatever that looks like, I pray, God would help us to be a church that's growing in our awareness of us. We're growing in our awareness of are the residue of sin that's still on us father I pray for everybody in the room father as we transition to communion Lord I, I pray that we wouldn't be left in despair in this in this passage that we the hypocrisy that's in our lives wouldn't be so overwhelming I do pray for honesty though because some of us aren't honest man we, we'll easily tell you this ain't me but father may this room be like me earlier this week and write a list of things that we've told others to do we are so good at helping others to fix their life but we're so bad at applying the things that we've told to people so father i pray for everybody in the room might we be doers of the word not hearers only that's obedience Lest we deceive ourselves forgive us oh god for taking notes but not applying them forgive us oh god for highlighting verses but not being obedient to the verse that we highlighted. And ultimately, God, I pray for forgiveness of the hypocrisy of the church. I pray for this local church, but I pray for every single church that names the name of Jesus Christ. May we be more consistent by the things that we say and we do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.